You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Humanize Me. And I do mean welcome back because it has been a while. This is our first episode of 2017. And, uh, you know, in between now and the last time we did this, there's been this whole holiday season. And I don't know what holiday you celebrate, whether it's Kwanzaa or Festivus or Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is. I mean, we do Christmas because that's the tradition that Marty and I grew up in. And um, it's funny, this was a particularly cool Christmas. We were... um, we had, we had the kids here all together, but it was also the first time Marty and I had done, decided to do Christmas gifts for each other in a long time. You know, we usually don't do that because it's just like, ah, you know, like we're doing stuff all the time. Right? And when we, we kind of didn't want to be under all that material stuff. But I think Marty was like, I want to do it again this year. And I know the reason why was because she had nailed the killer gift. And so I got maybe my favorite Christmas gift I can remember ever getting, um, she got me a 1957 edition of Ingersoll the Magnificent, which is that book of Ingersoll quotes I've been using all year long. And I, I've been pulling it all, all, all off an online source. And, and I can steer you to that online source if you go to the episode notes for this program. But um, but I got a hard copy now, and it's a beautiful one. I'll, I'll take a picture of it and post it somewhere um, on the website so you can see it. But it is just it was just the coolest thing. And, you know... I mean, I, you know, just sort of, it's nice to have a tangible expression of my devotion to my humanist hero who 130 years ago had already figured out kind of this whole positive community building approach to life uh, and, and, and to secular life that I, I just think is so cool. So anyway, that was, that was a cool thing. We were in Cincinnati over the holiday, um, right after Christmas. Marty and I jumped on a plane and we flew back home to Cincinnati and we spent the week there visiting friends, which was really fun. And while we were there, oh my gosh, it was kind of cool to be around all our old friends when that New York Times Magazine article dropped on New Year's Day, which I, I mean, I knew that was coming, but like if, if you haven't been paying attention, they did this big profile on me being the humanist chaplain at USC and I knew it was coming, but I did not know what a fuss people would make about it so all of a sudden i'm just hearing from everybody and their brother um from my past um that article (laughs) like online it got more than a thousand comments it was like this you know there's big hubbub which by the way if you left a comment i have not seen it because i was advised by mark oppenheimer the guy who wrote the piece he said listen man when this comes out you will not want to read those comments you'll go crazy um I've been, I, man, I've been swamped just with the emails, people tracking me down through the website and sending me emails. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've gotten more than 400, you know, full on emails, some of them from, you know, Christian people who are like praying for my soul. And some of them from, you know, hardcore atheists who are like, why aren't you rougher? And, uh, others of them from people who have not believed in God for a long time, but we're kind of excited about the approach that we're taking here. Um, and, you know, by the way, if you sent me one of those emails, I may not have gotten to it yet, but I spent a huge chunk of last week answering emails, some of them really poignant emails. Um, you know, because like my code is like, you write to me, I'm going to write you back. And so, 
you know, the one, I mean, and kind of the sad thing about the, the article for me, like in terms of practical matters is, is they didn't mention the podcast. They didn't mention the book that's coming out in February that I wrote with my dad. Um, they didn't mention the documentary that's coming out at the beginning of March. Um, and they didn't mention I counsel people and I coach people. And so if you're showing up at the podcast for the first time, you should go to barcampolo.org, which is where all the information about all that stuff is. Um, I'm not going to belabor it now, but um, yeah, the, the article did a good job, I think, of sort of portraying that kind of this ministry of humanist secular goodness is going really well. Um, but it's tough to, it's tough to keep, it's tough to make it sustainable. And that's the way we do it through all that other stuff. So, uh, yeah. So if you want to check that out, go to barkcampola.org. but it's just been, it's just been fun. It was kind of fun to see how encouraging it was to people. Yeah. It was just, it, there was just a lot of encouragement and a lot of good conversations happening. And, and I, I'm just really grateful, um, to Mark Oppenheimer and to the people at the New York Times Magazine for thinking I was worth writing an article about. And it was just, it was a very humbling experience. Um, this week I had a conversation with a friend of mine named Maggie Wheeler and Maggie, she's kind of a hotshot actress here in Hollywood. Um, I met her through uh, a friend of mine at USC, my friend Jim Burklow and, and, and Maggie and her husband live in our neighborhood. And when I, when I, when we first met her, I was like, ah, she looks so familiar to me. And it turns out that she is the actress who played Janice on the television show Friends. If you're familiar with Friends, which if you're on this planet over the age of 20, you probably are. Um, Janice was Chandler's girlfriend, on and off girlfriend, who had the, the real nasally voice and the real, she would go like, oh my God. And I don't do it very well. And I probably should have had Maggie do it during our conversation. But I know for a fact, because I'm friends with her, that everywhere she goes, people are like, will you do the voice for me? And she's a trooper. She always does it. Doesn't need to be prompted. But I was just like, I'm not going to do it. So if you want to hear her do the thing, you got to go online. But why I had her on is because it's funny because that nasal voice thing. And I mean, she's one on Everybody Loves Raymond, Ellen, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Will and Grace, Seinfeld. I mean, like if you name an iconic TV show from the last 20 years, she's probably been on it. And she does all this voiceover stuff um, for cartoons and things. I mean, she's a really successful and cool actress but it's funny because her voice on friends is so nasally and her voice in real life is so beautiful and she is a great singer and i know this because her other life she is the director of the one of the co-directors of the golden bridge community choir here in la which is this no audition choir that my wife sang in for about a year and it's just one of the coolest things going here in LA. And it turns out it's not just here in LA. There are choirs like this all over the place. And I wanted to talk to Maggie because I've been talking about community building and I've been trying to get people to sing and, and trying to talk about what it means to sing together. And Maggie was the best person I could think of to talk to. And my goodness, I just love this conversation. So I'm not going to build it up anymore or tell you any more about Maggie. You'll, you'll get the whole treatment coming up and I'll see you on the other side. If somebody introduced you and say, oh, that's Ma you know, Maggie and Daniel. Oh, yeah, Maggie, she played Janice on Friends. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, that's what you did. My goodness. 
Yeah, you, I've been at it a while. <laughs> so there's, Did you there's come out here to do that thing? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did. I had As a, a single woman, you came out here. I did. I had a small independent movie that was coming out, and I moved into a furnished apartment rental and uh, just to be here for the opening of the film, and I ended up meeting my future husband, and so I went How back to the city. How early into it did you meet him? Um... Uh, I can't quite remember, but I, you know, within, I would say probably within eight months of being here, maybe. It's so funny because, you know, you we were just talking before we turned on the mics, like about all these evangelical Christians that I grew up with and that you had babysit your kids, um, who get married at 24 because like, we don't want to burn them with lust. Um, but like you got married relatively young and stayed married to the same person for a long time. We've been married 26 years and I didn't get married. So, well, I mean, I got married at 30. Uh, yeah. And I had my first child at 35. Yeah. So, yeah, but like we, you've been married a long time. We have, Rel- you know, like especially in this, if, town? in this town, that's a crazy thing. So, so did you, did you meet him in the context of doing all your fancy acting work? Uh, that's so funny. Uh, well, this little independent movie that I came out here to, to, uh, uh, just to be present when it opened. Which we call Star Wars. <laughs> we Go. call Star Wars. So it's called New Year's Day. And, uh, and so, I was invited to a party, uh, I think because of the the way this movie was being received, and I had been on Johnny Carson, I was having kind of a, my 15 minutes of fame, and uh, and I was in- Car- Johnny Carson for a small independent movie? I was, with Johnny, yeah. Look at you. It was so, and they actually, they just re-ran it on some television station a couple of weeks ago. They sent me an email saying, by the way, your Johnny Carson episode's gonna be on. So um, wow. yeah, that was a lot of fun. And anyway, I got invited to a party, uh, it was it was hosted by the person that Daniel worked for. Daniel's an artist, as you know, and uh, and he was managing this this television producer's art collection. So I did meet him at a Hollywood party, but not because. So Daniel used to manage rich people's art collections. <laughs> he did <laughs> one person in particular. Yeah, uh, yeah. That he did a, it for ten a, years. Is that really that is yeah. that like a real job? Like a, lots oh, of people have. It's well, I don't know how many people have it. It's a great job for an artist because he worked. He worked with great art all the time. He moved things when things were loaned to different countries and different museums. He traveled with oh art, and gosh. he and also because he was an installer, that's how this gentleman met him. Uh, he was installing for a gallery, so you know he he installed his art, and this guy had galleries on his property, and Daniel was constantly, you know, hanging shows and moving art, and it was everything that he is good at. By the way, since we're talking about Daniel, yeah. Daniel Wheeler, one of our favorite people, <laughs> um, can we pitch him? Like, is there a website? Like, yes. What do we oh, tell my people? gosh. Daniel Wheeler. I'm so fortunate to be married to Your somebody who's uh, yeah, my beloved husband, who's so incredibly creative. So he has a website called WheelerMade.com. Uh, and he, um, you know, he makes sacred objects and and he just makes all kinds of incredible things. He's, he makes art. He makes uh, sets for Diavolo Dance Theater. He he makes um, objects of love. He makes urns uh, for for the ashes of the departed. He makes beautiful design objects. Yeah, you got and, me stuck yeah. on the, he makes objects of love. I'm like, that sounds really exciting. <laughs> he um, does, he does. Yeah, wheelermade.com. All right, so, so, okay, so here's the deal. Yeah. I'm not the world's best podcaster. If I don't know if you ever listen to my podcast, but I'm not the world's best podcaster, but I try really hard. But what, the main thing for me is I get to talk to people. Because like, like the whole USC thing being the chaplain there and like now this New York Times thing oh my gosh yeah. since that article came out the people that write to me so you I, like I get access to all these people 
and I try to take all those, I, I, I try to use conversations to help the people that listen to me and me figure out how to make the most of our lives. Because most of the people that listen to this podcast, like they're all over the country, a lot of them are post-Christians mm-hmm. who are sort of like, what do I do now? I don't believe in God. Like, you know, and one of the big questions that we're all messing with is people miss what they miss about that stuff is not the harsh dogma and not the cutting the back of their wrists every time they masturbate because they're trying to become pure, um, as I did. What they miss is being part of a collective group of people that are pursuing goodness in an intentional way. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you didn't grow Did you grow up in all that? I grew up in New York City, the child of completely and utterly assimilated Jewish parents so that there was no Judaism in the house. I was raised by a Catholic Cuban nanny who put saints under my pillow and, uh, and you know, squirreled us off to church and that was who um, nurtured the supernatural in you <laughs> absolutely she did and uh and i you know became a spiritual searcher seeker at a very young age it led me in many many different directions all throughout my teens and 20s including a stint with a guru and a lot of other um a lot of other chapters of spiritual seeking uh and alongside that was my interest in 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 acting in communing with people through the creative arts which and is a very fellowship let's let's it is you know when i when i'm I, when you know when you're in high school you're like oh those are the drama kids <laughs> and 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 you see them and they are this tight knit there's a, this thing that it's goes a family on. it's yeah. true it is it's it is fellowship and so so i had that i also had a, a deep interest in animals and so i felt that i had this ability to kind of commune with the animal kingdom in a in a very deep way and uh and that took me in various and sundry directions and also i had music because from the time that i was very young i went away for two months every summer to a camp that was run by pete seeger's brother so i i, I grew up surrounded by folk musicians where and was the camp in in, in hancock vermont the camp is called kill elite it's still in it's still existence. there absolutely run now by their daughter kate by john and, and ellie's daughter kate so you were out there with the lefties. I was out there with the Red Diaper Baby lefty folk music <laughs> camp, and that's where I found my soul. I mean, absolutely, every summer, I was seven turning eight my first summer, which was not uncommon in New York to ship your kids off for two months. Uh, I'm so lucky that that did happen to me because that's where I felt most at home in the midst of all that music and sitting around a campfire and, you know, singing songs together. But and there was also, I, I got to think there was this huge social justice power to the people kind of thing oh there's yeah the Noam we Chomsky were, vibe <laughs> underneath that well there's that that, that kind of uh, runs in two directions because at, at camp at the age of eight and nine we were singing um oh gosh I just want to be able to come up with these lyrics about uh uh union songs yes there's a song about about um a well, we used to sing plas- this song about Plastic Jesus, and we used to sing a song about how, oh, I wish I could come up with all the great lyrics. But anyway, we sang a lot of political folk songs, certainly back in the sing day. little and, houses on the yeah, hillside. Little, yeah, little boxes, little boxes, and all of that. Uh, and anti-material, then, anti- anti-capitalist screeds. Those were, our, those were our anthems. So I grew up with that. I grew up with that. And then, of course, I was sort of, you know, a child of the late 60s, and so we did a lot of, you know, marching and protesting, and there was a lot of, you know a lot of anti-war activity when I was young. So, you know, I think I am a group person. I 
feel most at home when I am communing with a group of people and creating something good in the world, whether it's art or music or, 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 or moving towards social justice. I think that is where I feel uh, connected. Yeah. So you did sort of grow up steeped in missional groups. Like, I did. We're a group together and we're doing something. We're putting on a show. We're protesting. We're, we're, we're doing this thing. Yeah. And so, and, and the reason like, because again, like I'll cover the fancy acting stuff in the intro, but the thing that, ex that the reason I was so anxious to talk to you with other, with microphones is because you run this choir. I do. And this choir, um, it's the Golden Bridge Community Choir. Correct. And you can find that online too. You can. Goldenridgechoir.com. And, and if you're in LA, it's 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 a community. That's the community. It's the Los Angeles community, right? That's it where is. people come from. It is. I mean, you know, it's interesting because I, I started so if we, if we go back to the to music around the campfire, when I headed when I sort of started out on my life, my little, you know, journey, I always looked for that. I feel that I always looked for the campfire wherever I was going. And uh, and that led me in various directions. Eventually, I became a student of Isai Barnwell, who sang bass for Sweet Honey in the Rock for many, many years, um, up at a retreat center in upstate New York called the Omega Institute. It was the first place she taught her vocal workshop. Now she teaches them all over the world. But at that time, uh, 30 some odd years ago, was the first time she ever gathered a group to teach her class, which was at the time called Black Choral and Congregational Singing. Now it's called Building a Vocal Community. And, and you're... A young actress. I was a young actress who loved music, and I loved gospel music, and I loved African music. I, I had turned I turned sixteen in Africa. I traveled to Africa when I was when I was uh, fifteen, turning sixteen, um, for all kinds of other deep interests, but music was among them. And so I became a student of his eyes in these workshops, and uh, and it opened this whole world for me. This world of what's possible when you gather a group of people and you lead them in song, and the transformation that takes place within a matter of moments and then then in these circumstances in a workshop within a matter of days watching the incredible kind of suffering and pain and sorrow and isolation that falls away when people are creating music together they become connected you know uh, leadership skills emerge people lean on people for this thing or for that thing and then you know then that person needs help from somebody to the right of them or to the left of them and it really just becomes this incredible um you know, I think it's magic, you know, what happens. It's not there. unlike eating together, like where people say, yeah, if you can, if you sit down and eat with people, you'll feel differently about them. There's something very human, very tribal about like watching another person eat and you're eating with them. <laughs> and it feels like singing is this other thing that like, it's a gut connection. It's not, it, 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 it's, it's, it's sub- it's deep. Well, it is deep. I think the, I mean, really now there's so much scientific evidence about what happens when you sing and what happens when you sing together and how your heartbeats sync up and how your oxytocin levels rise and all kinds of things, physical things that happen when you sing together that are sort of scientifically undeniable at this point. So that's happening. And then, you know, on top of that, one of the things that happened to me at the end of that first seven day workshop and how many people are out there at this workshop at that time there were about 60 people so and you're all there and, and ostensibly you're there to learn like how to 
bring a group together around this kind of music? At that time, we were there as students of song at the feet of a master. Okay, Isai Barnwell just, teaches okay. music out of the African-American tradition, starting kind of way back, you know, with, with, with early African music and chant and moving all the way up sort of through the historical development of, of black music and sacred music and all kinds of sort of, you know, music that's come out of the black experience. So it was about the music. It wasn't about the group It was not yet. about leadership. It was just about being okay, okay. Her, her choir, allowing her to build this vocal community out of the people who showed up. And, uh, and so one of the things that happened to me that sort of opened for me in that experience was this vocabulary of song of of this not only the songs that she taught but also kind of tapping into the idea that we all have song within us and that sometimes you know if you if you look at back at, at indigenous cultures and how music is folded into the daily life songs for joy songs for sorrow songs for work songs for coming together songs for saying goodbye songs for welcoming people you know uh uh there's just music that runs through the day. And that's what I feel like I walked away from that first week with was all of the sudden this channel opened in me where I began to sing my way through my life and, um, and, and, you know, create songs that I don't remember that would come and go, but that would literally get me through the dishwashing or whatever it might've been on that day. It's so interesting. Like I was, I was talking to this person about mindfulness, you know, which is like all the rage now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think one of the things that came across to me was she said, there was a time when I thought like you go to the Buddhist temple and that's where you're, you're, you meditate and like, it's this event. And she said, what's happening now is people are thinking like, no, 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 this is something that you do in the midst of your life that you, you, it's, it's part of the teaching experience. It's part of like, you know, putting your kids to bed at night, like that. And it sounds like for you after that thing, music had been a, an event kind of thing, or maybe more of an event kind of thing. And all of a sudden it was like, am I, am I hearing you right? I think yes. That you were like, oh no, no, you carry this with you. Yes. You're saying goodbye to somebody. You're saying hello to somebody. You're, you're walking down the street and you're thinking about something. You're like, I should sing that. Yes. Because it'll open something up. And also just being exposed more deeply to music that has served a function, whether it is, you know, music that came from, uh, from the African experience or music that came out of the civil rights movement or music that, or, or, or early work songs, just being exposed to the functionality of music. Because in our culture, it is, it is divided into spectator and performer. And we don't have that daily experience of using music in a functional way. Using music. Yeah. Yeah. Functional music. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's interesting is, like, you're not, like, if you're in my world right now, like, you know, that New York Times piece comes out and all yeah. these secular leaders come at me and they're like, how do you build these groups? How do you build these groups? And and they're all wondering why. They're, why these atheist clubs or you know why they don't thrive mm. what, like we're like what are we, they missing like, we have a better narrative like ours is true like we know about how we really came to be here and 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 rationality makes sense and they're like why doesn't it why isn't this stuff catching hold and i try to talk to them about you know that people make these kinds of decisions in their hearts and in their guts and like you have to you have to emotionally resonate with people you have yeah. to tell stories and, but then when i talk about music the resistance is unbelievable. It's pretty huge. I think certainly religiously wounded people are are have have an experience of how where music fit into their former life, and then that makes it 
complicated. They kind of feel like it was used against them. It was used against them. And so, you know, that's one of the things. I've been running the choir now for, um, this is our 11th year. You know, I used to just teach workshops. For many years, I just taught a vocal workshop once a month. People came, people left. I never saw them again. Or maybe the next time I did it again, I saw them again. But uh, 11 years ago, I went off and did a training called the Community Choir Leadership Training in, in, uh, in Victoria, Uh, Canada. And I came back to LA and uh, another former graduate of that training, Emil Hassan Dyer, and I started the Golden Bridge Choir together. And I had some resistance around setting something up that was asking people to make a commitment. I had a lot of resistance around it. I'm like, that's just not me. I can't ask people to show up every week. Who's going to want that, etc. So is this more Emil saying, I think this will go? No, it was me. I decided to do it. You were were just up against my own resistance. And And what I discovered is that people are starving for community, starving. And and so and and in 11 years of doing it, I've had all kinds of people come to the choir, including the religiously wounded, if that's a term that is I don't know if that's an offensive term to use. But I mean, just I I have refugees. I've, I've had, you know, people recovering Catholics and recovering Christians. And I've also had atheists and I have, and I, I also have people who, who believe in, you know, any, any manner of kind of spiritual belief systems, uh, from the traditional to the non-traditional. I've had, I have everybody. Um, and I've discovered that I have to be careful sometimes with the music that I choose. I don't have you know, for years I sang songs about Jesus. I, you know, having kind of come up at his eyes feet and learning all this right. music out of the black There's tradition. There's a lot of good music there. There's a lot of Jesus. But I will tell you, it's very funny when I think back to that very first week, there was a, a guy in that group of 60 people who said, I don't sing about Jesus. And she said, okay, well, you don't have to, but we're going to sing the name. And so you can just imagine whatever you want to do there. And by the end of the week, that guy stood up and shouted something, you know, I mean, he did it with humor, but the fact was the music had just taken that pain and suffering and resistance away. It wasn't about the word and it wasn't about the dogma. It's about the vibration. Yeah. You know what? I, it's funny because I have so many hardcore, um, secular people now who will sort of, when they hear me talk, will say, slide it on the side. You know, I still listen. I listen to gospel music right. and I go like, of course you do. Like it's yeah. great. It's, it does something to you that it's a kind of music that it reaches you. And they say, I feel funny cause I'm singing like, you know, you know, God's going to lift me up right. or whatever they're saying. And they're saying, I don't believe any of it. And I said, no, but there's this weird sense in which the idea of it's like a fairy tale. Like, wouldn't it be great if somebody was going to lift it? Wouldn't it be great if somebody lifted me up? Or it's like a metaphor Mm. that something might lift me up. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think for those people who are brave enough to join in song with each other, what you discover is that the song lifts you up. Right. Creating harmony with other people. The act of talking about hope in a sense provides the hope. Yes. And it's not even about the lyrics. Right. You know, you could be singing. We sing songs in languages that people don't know. I tell them what the words mean, but the fact is they're singing in Zulu or they're singing in Swahili or they're singing, you know, and, and, and it's, it's more about it, the rhythm the and the vibration and the that a song carries. And the harmonies sometimes. And the harmonies. Yeah. Okay. So like, I'm going to back you up cause I did a terrible, like, like, like <laughs> I was like, you started this choir, but like, we've talked nothing about this choir. <laughs> okay. So like, 
you go to the first workshop 30 years ago mm. and and music comes into your life or becomes more pervasive in your life. Yes. 11 years ago, you go to this other workshop and you go like, I'm going to start this choir. Now just give, give me like the, the quick, like, how we get Summary. from A to B? Well, no, no, but I want to, I want to know that, but, but we're also like, I want people to know the choir we're talking about. What we're talking about is not a choir of like seven professional musicians. No. And it's not the Mormon Tabernacle choir. No. <laughs> okay. So describe the choir so that people know what that thing is we're talking about. The choir is a non-auditioned community choir, intergenerational community choir. So we have everything from little people to big people. Um, we meet on Sundays uh, at the, at Wanderlust yoga center in Hollywood, beautiful space. And, uh, and we gather and we teach in the, Emil and I teach in the oral tradition. There's no sheet music. So it allows for everybody with every level of musical experience to, to participate. And we do not discriminate and we do not exclude people based on their quote unquote musical ability. Uh, the choir is very large now there. We have about 97 people, or at least the last session we did, we're just about to start a new one next week. So I never know. And that's the cool thing about it, right? Like it goes for 14 weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. You, you, you're in because my wife did two cycles she did that's right and we then had... she got this job and she's like I can't do this right now but I'll come back but like you can you get in it's 14 weeks yep. and then you do a concert yep we do 14 weeks we do a concert we give the proceeds away uh, to charity we we at the moment are partnered with a wonderful documentary filmmaker named Louise Hogarth who has a campaign called the Ubuntu Orphan Bracelet Campaign that helps two orphanages in South Africa. So so our concerts, uh, the revenue from our concerts goes to help those orphanages, orphanages, orphanages and the orphans there. Um, and uh, and that's how it works. And, and you know, people come uh, from all over LA. LA. And so like in a session like what's going on right now, there's like 90 some people. They get together every Sunday. You and Emil teach them songs and then sing songs together orally. Like, like That's right. you do this, you do mm-hmm. this and stuff like that. And, um, and I mean, you're charismatic. He's charismatic. He is charismatic. He, he, he oozes charisma. <laughs> He's all joy. Yeah, he really is. He's just one of these wonderfully, <laughs> you just, he just vibes it out. And so, so everybody's singing. And that's the point. Like, it's not like the concert isn't the point. No, the concert is secondary. The point is this incredible amount of joy that we generate together every week. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, there, there's so much to say about it. It's just, it's, you know, it, it's so powerful what it is and what it does for people. And, you know, I also have discovered over the years that we've had people come to choir who before that choir experience were living very isolated lives. It's this experience of gathering in. with people to make music that has connected them with other human beings. And actually, you know, Daniel and I have lived here for many, many years. And there was a period of time before we started the choir where we used to kind of look around and say, where is the community in L.A.? Where yeah, are these that's, people? That's How do you do it? Where yeah. do you find it? And we ended up creating it. We yeah. ended up creating a place where community just is and grows. And this is what I want to talk to you about, like for one second because I got a lot of friends mm. who are like I'm the only secular person I know in Alabama mm. that wants to be a humanist that wants to pursue goodness mm-hmm. in this way and there lots of them are trying to figure out like do I start a dinner party like Bart does at USC because mm-hmm. I run those dinners yes. for students and one of the reasons I wanted like I wanted to talk with you is because it feels like a community choir like you're not the only one doing this like there are other Ubuntu community choirs is that, do you feel like that is a, 
what's the word replicable way of building community or do you need special it does do you need special powers i think it is a replicable way of 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 creating community without a doubt i think it happens in different styles and at different levels and in different ways you have to have at least one person who feels um an urge to be a leader and who likes music enough to want to spend time learning the music that they want to share there are endless resources out in the world um, to find music for community choirs and music that is secular music that people, you know, you have to get creative. If, if, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't shy away from singing spiritual songs from different traditions because I like them. Um, but as I said, I sometimes have to tread a, you know, a careful Massage line because I don't want people to feel you know, uncomfortable. So that for me, that's an interesting challenge. I kind of take it on and I, and I love it. Um, but, but for people who have a very kind of clear idea, you know what, I just want to sing songs about unity. I want to sing songs about joy. I want to sing songs about the earth. You know, there's so many categories, safe categories out there for, for beautiful music. Friendship. Oh my goodness. Family. There's a, there's a, um, a graduate of the, of the choir, uh, of the choir training. Also, his name is Lawrence Cole and he has, he, he writes songs and he uses Rumi poetry and he uses his own words and he writes beautiful multi-part chants for groups to sing. Yeah. So once you crack open... And, and can I just stop you right there? Yeah. Because like that's the thing. I'm tr- like it, I've been around some folks that, that think that singing alone will get it done. And I'm like, no, the songs have to... They have to communicate and reinforce a shared set of values. I agree. I think the songs have to matter. You know, you can sit around and sing under the boardwalk together and have a good karaoke kind of time. But there is a wealth of these kind of beautiful songs that carry that power, almost the power of like an ancient chant, uh, where the, the where the where the lyrics, the material, the subject matter will speak to a group uh, in a way that it becomes functional in our contemporary yeah. life. They're not ancient chants. They're contemporary. People are writing them all over the place. Yeah. And, 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 and the meaning, like I always say that meaning is not something that's within us, but it's created between us that, you know, we make meaning by caring about each other. Yeah. And so it feels to me like if you sing songs about that kind of stuff, you, you sort of like you're in, you're, you are creating meaning in the room. You are. And you're creating kind of, you're creating an undeniable connection between the participants. It's, it's physical. You can feel it. You all, I mean, if, if what they say, if what the scientific research say, that says is true, which is that eventually through this kind of singing, our hearts sync up and we are all beating as one, mm-hmm. you know, when you and I did an event together, not a, a while back, uh, I think one of the songs that I brought was a song called one heart beating. We are yeah. one world, one voice, one heart beating. And, uh, you know, in three, in three parts. <laughs> and so what happens as we sing that and we sing that is we all begin to resonate. Yeah, if you hooked together. people up, you would find that their hearts were actually syncing up in yeah. that moment. Yeah. yeah. That's so that's, you know, that is real connection. That's what we're all starving for. That's what we, I think we all need. And, and, you know, I also love the idea that the kind of goodwill 
this culture of kindness that you can create around gathering with people that has a ripple effect. And so everybody who steps out of that experience and goes home to their world is going to take some of that extra joy, that extra oxytocin in their system home to their children, their families, their friends. The other part of the songs, it's not just like what they're about, but it's also like they're all sung in, in a range that most everybody can get to. You know, yeah. because sometimes when people try to sing pop songs together, oh. they're not meant to be sung by a group. You're right. They're meant to be sung by the performers and, of the world. And so <laughs> the range is weird. But the other thing is, talk to me, like, do you know something about harmony? Because I know that when I listen to the, like, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sing the Hallelujah Chorus, or when I listen to a bunch of little kids sing in harmony, that it's, that somehow it just makes me feel joyful just to see a bunch of people working together like they plan this out talk to me about harmony because there's something going on there but i don't understand it well you know we're we're the only species that does it you know we can we were given this ability to sing different notes at the, at the same time as someone or it else. Evolved or it within you know. us because we were thinking. <laughs> Maybe that. Oh, yeah, we weren't given it. We, just, <laughs> we, we developed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's been developed, absolutely, over time, right? Right. And, uh, and so I don't know what, I, what to say about it, except that it, you know, it, it's, I don't know, Bart, it's, it's a magical thing. I know magical is not the right word for this crew, but it's, you transcendent. know, it's transcendent. Yeah. It, it, we have the ability to create something together. And it also, it mirrors things that take place in nature. It mirrors the sound of, you know, cicadas or crickets or, or water running or things that vibrate in nature. Some things that are beyond our ability to hear, you know, we, we are mirroring something that is, I think, present in yeah, the natural world. There's something there. You know, it's funny though, when I went, I went to one of your choir's concerts and I think the thing that moved me was partly that, but partly I thought these people have been getting together for 14 weeks. Like they worked on this. They made this for me. <laughs> That's um, so nice. And you see them singing and I'm like, they planned this out and they're working together. And they, it's, I feel the same way when I watch a football team run a play where I go like, <laughs> hey, that. That's a bunch of people cooperating. And there's something inspiring about watching people cooperate. That's so beautiful to hear because honestly, that is something that I, when I started this work, I didn't really know that was part of my job was to teach people about cooperation, but it is part of my job. And I also believe, and this is my own little thing, that, you know, to love a song and to take it from its infancy and its wobbly stages to the point where we put it on a stage for you, Bart. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a lot of freaky unraveling moments and it requires patience. It requires forgiveness of the song, the song, forgive forgiveness of the self, Sometimes forgiveness of your neighbor. Next to you, yeah. Right. I mean, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of understanding and a lot of forgiveness. And I think those are, you know, the qualities that make this life livable. So, uh, and make cooperation and community building possible. So I do believe that it, in, in the creation of this music together is the metaphor for everything we're after. So, you know, what's interesting is because I think part of me thinks that there's somebody in Dubuque, Iowa or in Alabama who's going like, I don't think I can get 
a secular community together, like a humanist fellowship. Mm-hmm. But maybe I could organize a like there, like maybe a community choir might be a thing, or yeah. even just a you know when I was in Cincinnati, there was this one bar where these bluegrass people would gather every Tuesday night, and they would practice together. They would sing songs together. And they weren't getting ready for a concert. They were like, this is the thing. We (laughs) get together and sing these songs. And I can imagine somebody going like, that might be a backdoor way to get people to come together and talk and think about what are the values that we have in common. But the other thing is like, I got these students at USC. I have been trying like crazy to get them to sing together and they won't do it because they're they're like, it's too much like religion and we're scared of that. And finally one of them said, Maybe if we did it like a pub song, we did it like jokey. Mm-hmm. So one of them wrote me this pub song. Oh, now, I could sing it for you. I know, I know it by heart. <laughs> and I'm not a musician, but like it was an easy to sing song. Yeah. And we and he got them all singing. And we only sing one song at the end okay. of every dinner. We sing. Um, it goes like this. It goes. Uh, oh, the nights come to a close, but we'll keep an open mind, and every day we'll push on through, and hopefully we'll find. Our fear of death subsiding and our values holding strong. Since life is void of meaning, let's just fucking get along. That is awesome. And and, and he wanted to throw in the fucking because he was like, we have to show people that it's irreverent. Um, But that's awesome. And they'll sing it. Yeah. And what's funny is, is that they're joking. Yeah. It's tongue in cheek. But I swear to you, I still think they get oxytocin. From that experience. Absolutely. Because what else can we all do at once like that? Right. We can't. You know, there's not much you can do with a large group at once. So that is, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I, and I love the song. Oh, it's, it's a fun song. <laughs> it's yeah. a great song. Yeah. Um, and, 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 but, it's, but the other thing about it is interesting, too. It's a little bit like this. I went to one of your choir concerts up at that fancy, weird place in Malibu, that, that yeah. outdoor venue. Oh, oh, you did? Oh, um, um, okay. Sorry. What, it's going to take it, me a minute. The outdoor it, amphitheater. Was it Pete Seeger's place? Or was uh, that family was involved with it? It's, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Me, I'm sorry. It, is it Malibu? Is that what yeah, it is? Yeah, yeah, it is in Malibu. Okay, so anyway. We, 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 like, <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it's a great out. theater. Yeah, okay. So anyway, but I, I went to see you guys and you were doing all this music with these people. But one of the things that was interesting too was... We were eating. Theatricum Botanicum. There you go. And uh, Peter Allsop's Theatricum. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Who did this fun album for kids that yeah. my kids used to sing. Um, um, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, I forget what that song. He had all these songs like, you know, my body is nobody's body but mine. Oh, yes. You know, all these things are like, you know, I, no one ever plays with me. I'm bored, bored, bored. You know, all these great songs. For yeah. Kids. He's so great. So, so you came there. I came there. Uh. And you did a rehearsal. And I, I, Marty was singing that night, that, that day. So I drove her up and then I'm just hanging around. Then you ate in between the rehearsal and the song. So I'm sitting there eating with all these people. Oh yeah. You, we were, we right, kind of right. ate together. Oh, yeah, yeah, all coming I, back I thought to you now. would remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the weird thing about it was, is it was very clear to me who was in the choir and who was hanging around. Not that anyone was mean to me, but it's just like. People feel connected because, like, we've been doing this together, and we know these songs, and and it creates an us. Uh huh. And it's not an us against the audience or against; it's an us with uh-huh. or an us for. Like, we're doing this for you. Uh huh. But there was this sense I had where I thought singing a song together, where we know the song, 
Yeah. And you don't. <laughs> and it's like a secret handshake. Mm-hmm. Or when I was on a sports team, I remember like, you know, putting, hanging my towel somewhere and going, no, no, no. On this team, we put them over there. And it's just like insider knowledge is not a hostile thing. Because especially if they're just like, you could join if you want to. Sure. <laughs> and you'll know you're in when you know the song. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And I think like there are a lot of things where like, you know, you're in if you know the song. Yeah. Um, you know, even like I, some of our kids, like they'll, they'll, like one kid will start singing um, from a Disney musical, like a whole new world. <laughs> and, and and everyone in that same age category, they all grew up together. They all know that song. Yeah. They all watch that movie. And like you're in because you like you're one of us because you know the song. Yeah, well, that is true. I think that um, I'm trying to, you know, I was trying, I'm trying to remember what the experience was. I do remember at the Theatrical Botanicum that it the seating was very weird because there were like all these little kind of places where people gathered in small groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but one of, and one of the things that we try to combat with this Ubuntu Choirs Network, which is sort of uh, all over the States and in Canada now, uh, to create these non-audition choirs is to combat that exclusivity vibe, you know, that, that music making so often has. Um, so, so it's true. If, if we're at performance level, there is an us and a them because we've already, we're, we're at the end of a cycle. Right. But at the beginning, when the door is wide open, it's just wide we don't open play and every, we don't play that game and everybody can come in and everybody's, and you know, and, and because I always introduce new music every session, there's a moment, you know, we might repeat some songs and there will be people who know the song and people who are learning the song, but we also do stuff. I try always to do stuff that nobody knows. And that way everyone's at a level playing field, you know, yeah. at least some of the time in the learning process. So, you know, I mean, I, I, you sent me over that, that documentary, what's it called? Oh, last night. Did you yeah, see that? I looked at it. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy stuff. It's pretty heavy stuff. Because it was it called? Was it? I, 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 um, I watched it last night. Is it called music is magic? I don't know. I, I you know, that's what I want to say. It's called is music is magic. But it was about these people who like, the thing that, I, that touched me the most was, it was all these old people. Mm. And what they were saying is, is, you know, that these people were losing, they, they were losing their minds. Alzheimer's Deep up. in dementia. But if you played them the music of their youth, songs that had made them happy, songs that had made them sad, songs that um, connected them to certain events, the people were saying like, oh, and after we sang those songs together, we had a great conversation. Yes, they like, return. They, they, they return, return to, to themselves. themselves through music. And so... Uh, what do you make of that? Well, I, I just think it's incredible how music lives in us from the time we're children until the time we die, that these songs are running through us, the songs of our childhood and the songs of uh, the songs that have mattered to us. Um, and I'm sorry, it's helicopter hour um, that, uh, you know, that it, it accesses a different part of the brain. And so all of that confusion that comes with dementia and age and Alzheimer's and all the rest, this... You would see it falling away as you, these people yes, were singing. the footage. I've already seen um, documentary footage of that experience. This movie, which somebody sent to me yesterday, so the one that I shared with you, and I watched it last night as well. Uh, and so this was new footage for me to see. But really, you see somebody who is lost in their own dementia suddenly drop in. 
the song just brings them back to themselves. I don't really know. I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor, but I do think it just speaks to the importance of, of, of music and how, how it lives in the body and how it shifts and changes the body. And also in that same documentary, they show you people with Parkinson's who have lost control over their movement. And, the, and the, I don't know if you got this far in the film, but the music they play music and these people begin to walk and they comfortably. Can dance. They can dance comfortably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It bypasses something in the brain. So, I mean, you know, that's powerful stuff f- for the physical body and the emotional body to, to transform through music. See, it's funny because I was watching a magician, um, Penn and Teller, you, mm-hmm. you know, who I, I had met when I was a little kid back in Philadelphia when they were busking mm-hmm. and now they're big oh shots. But they're magicians, but they say, they said, you understand, there is no magic. Like these are things we're doing and they work because your brain works this way. And they'll, they'll show you, Explain it. they're debunkers, mm-hmm. you know, but they're like, because their thought is knowing how it works doesn't make it less wonderful, mm-hmm. but in some sense it makes it almost even more wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause some people say like, oh, without God, there's no mystery or like, you don't believe in magic. And I go like, I, I believe in naturally magic. I, I think, I just think it's all natural. Mm-hmm. Um, like it actually happens. And so when, when you say to me like, yeah, there's something going on in the brain. And I go like, isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And so, you know, and that's the thing where I want to say to people that this emotional resonance that comes through music mm. and this c- human connection that comes through it and this ability to inspire people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do because there's rhythm. Yes. Um, that, that if understanding this, like it isn't magic in the sense of supernatural woo woo. Mm-hmm. I don't think, but I'll tell you what it's, wonderful and amazing and sort of magical Mm. in the way that it touches people. And, and so I'm just like, if you're rational, you're not going to try to reach people always through rash, through reason. If you're rational, you're going to sing a song. You know, if you're rational, you're going to eat some food. Um, and one of the things that I think I've been thinking a lot about climate change lately uh, with the Trump administration coming yeah. in, I'm very, you know, we're all really we're worried, all worried and scared. And one of the things that I think is we all know what we need to do. And the problem is that there's no political will to make the sacrifices, to change our lifestyle, to reduce our consumption. We're, we, there's a failure of will. And so the question is, how does one build will? collective communal will. And I've seen a lot of people throwing statistics up on boards and saying like, look, do you see what's happening here? This should motivate you, but it doesn't. Mm. And I think like, you know what? It may be that the only way we're going to motivate people to overcome racism or to, you know, to, to, to start recycling or to, you know, to, 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 to turn off certain kinds of behaviors is to come up with good songs about it. Well, there's there's a lot of truth in that. And certainly, you know, uh, history has shown us that many a revolution has has built been built on song. Really? Uh, and, and certainly in the civil rights movement, you know, music was so central, uh, central and, and gave people courage and, and helped to sustain people. And, you know, if you look at some of the music that comes out of that 
period of time, you know, there's a song that says, this may be the last time, this may be the last time, children, this may be the last time. It may be the last time, I don't know. And it's a song that people sang together before they went out. It may be the last time we march together. It may be the last time we sing together. I don't know, you know, but just to galvanize that courage and galvanize that unified uh, spirit and indomitable desire to make change. Come on, we're going to do it. We're going to make that sacrifice, whatever it takes. Yeah. So... Uh, music is powerful and, and it, it, it has a place in, in any movement that is desirous of change. That is where I'm going to cut this off. Cause like, that's the best closing line. Music is powerful and it has a place in any movement that is desirous of change. And like right now I'm part of a lot of, I'm, I'm, I'm around a lot of people that are think, thinking we're in some bad shape. Mm. And we're going to need to going to need to do some stuff. I'm so scared about technology. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've heard me rant on about <laughs> like, you know, the problems of cell phones and things. And I think like, yeah, how are we going to get people to put down their cell phones? And, I think and be like, together. We're going to have to sing. We're yeah. going to have to create spaces in which people connect on this deeper level. Well, if you're in L.A., come sing with the Golden okay. Bridge Community yeah. Choir. And or reach out to us at goldenbridgechoir.com. There you go. And, and you know, there's actually <laughs> and, some videos of you guys singing on there that I think will give people a real vibe of what it's what it sounds like. Yeah, it there like. are those. And then, you know, also, if you're far away and you want you want to bring it to your community, you can reach out to us and we can also travel and, 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 and teach groups in other places. We're traveling a lot. You and this Emil year. do workshops where you help people get these things going. We do. Yes. You know, it's funny. I, I had a guy on a friend of mine, a guy named Mark Iaconelli, who runs um, storytelling, like, like like the Moth things, mm-hmm. but he's teaching communities how to do Fantastic. it. And he was the same thing. He's like, I go places and I yeah. teach people because this is a way that people connect. Yes. And, and I, and, and so it's so great. Like, you're like, yeah, me and Emil, we go places. We do. We're, and we, like, this is how you do it. Sure. We're traveling quite a bit this year. So, so yeah, we will do it. We, we, we go and visit communities. And if you gather enough people together, we'll come and teach vocal workshops and bring this kind of music into your world. And, and uh, everything's possible. And there are community choirs in other places. Where would you find them? Uh, well, if you are looking for an Ubuntu choir, those are all run by people who graduated from the community choir leadership training. You go to... Um, you go to ubuntuchoirs.net and you will find a listing of what's out there. Uh, maybe there's someone in your area. Uh, and other than that, I think you just have to get online and yeah. see if there are community, community choirs choir. in your yeah. in your neighborhood and your in your area. It's funny, like the word Ubuntu um, summarizes neatly summarizes, I think, um, my concept of human beings as pack animals and identity as only you know morality as emerging not within us but between us mm-hmm. um that what works for us is what makes something right or That's wrong right. um because what it means is i heard you sing it it's like i am because we are i am i exist because you exist yeah. i yeah yeah i love that i am because we are yes thank you so much for talking with me this was really fun thanks Bart. Yeah, so that was my conversation with Maggie Wheeler. I loved it. And I think I loved it for the same reason I liked talking to Mark Iaconelli last time, which is 
you know, I think there are a lot of people out there saying like, I want to do this thing. I want to do this community building thing. But some of you are like, ah, that, you know, making a big dinner and facilitating a conversation like Bart does at USC. That's not my thing. And so you might've been listening to Mark Yakinelli and going like that storytelling thing. That sounds cool. But like, I'm not, that. that's not my thing. But maybe some of you are out there going like, you know, getting together some people to, 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 to sing together, whether it's kind of in a choir or just, you know, 20 people in your living room or 10 people in your living room, um, swapping songs together. You're thinking that that's something I could do. And I, and that's the thing is that this humanism thing, this is not something you think secular humanism is not something you think it's something you do. It's a, it's not a way of thinking. It's a way of life, you know, learning how to love other people and learning how to work together to make things better in the world and learning how to cultivate a sense of wonder. And so if you want to know more about Maggie, Doing it that way, you should go to her website, check her stuff out. Um, If you want to know more about all the stuff I'm working on, the book, the movie, you know, the counseling, the coaching, if I can be helpful to you, go to barcampola.org and send me an email. I mean, I know I got buried by all those New York Times emails and they were great, but I got to tell you, the emails I get from podcast people are my favorites because I feel like we already know each other before we start even corresponding. So... You write to me, I'll write you back. And if I can be helpful, that will be great. Um, What else can I tell you except this? Yeah, you know what? I sign off a lot of those emails by saying, you know, instead of saying like sincerely or, you know, like I used to say, keep the faith. And I still say that to some Christian people who I want them to keep their faith. Um, Sometimes I want them to keep their faith away from me. But, you know, that's a whole other story. But, But a lot of times I sign off, what I say now is stay wonderful. And I often write it out, wonder-full, as in full of wonder, because there is so much good to see in this world and to experience in this world once you open your eyes. And for a lot of us, that's what this whole conversation is about. It's about opening our eyes to the fact that like, meaning isn't necessarily out there to be discovered, but it can be made. And once we start making it, there's so much cool stuff. And uh, the universe is an amazing place. It may not care about you. <laughs> You're going to have to fill in the care yourself, caring for each other. That's what we do. Um, the universe may not care about you, but my goodness, it's full of, full of beauty. So yeah, so stay wonderful, my friends, and I will see you next time. For more information about the work of Bar Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.